Okay, so hello and welcome back to another episode of Dentistry Podcast. Um, I am very pleased to welcome back Nigel Jones, the Sales and Marketing Director at Practice Plan Group. Um, Nigel, I think it's been over a year since you were last on here now. Really? Uh, That actually has surprised me, I gather, yeah. um, that, That year seems to have absolutely flown by then. I know, I know. I always say when people th- talk about the year that's gone, I think in some aspects it's gone really fast, in other aspects it's, it's felt incredibly slow. I, I to- totally agree with you on that one because, um, you know, I, it, this this week where um, there's been the publication of the report and a lot of going back over government's response to the, the pandemic, it's transported me right back to Boris's announcement about the start of the first lockdown. And I know. in some ways that feels like yesterday, and yet actually, you know, it's 18 months 20 months ago yeah it, it was definitely a while ago now um and and so much has happened then but also feels like so little has happened at the same time it's just a it's a it's i think as we said just before this started i think we're looking forward now hopefully we can start to feel a bit more hopeful about what's coming i think there was a lot of uncertainty this time last year and although that remains slightly um i think it's it's definitely waned a little bit and um, we're feeling a little bit more upbeat about what's ahead I think that's uh, very true in terms of, of uh, kind of life in general. Yes. Um, I, I, would, I would say from a, a dentistry point of view, I think a lot of that uncertainty still exists. Although I, I still think um, there, are, there are grounds for optimism about the future. Definitely, definitely. I think, um, yeah, personally, I, was, I, I think I've got a bit sucked into my own bubble there. I was talking, <laughs> talking about my own life. Well, actually, yes, if you look at the, the profession and, and what's ahead for that, there is still a lot of question marks surrounding um, several matters. Um, I mean, for, for where you're standing at the moment, what does the current dental landscape look like to you? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because, um, I mean, I've been working in the profession for a long, long time now, over three decades, and, and I, I um, cannot remember uh, a, a time of greater uncertainty and and volatility and you know it, it seems we haven't have gone through a lot of change be, be on the verge of substantial change uh, going forward and and uh, I, I think um, you know it's quite a tough environment for people out there at the moment they're still trying to to deal with um, the the PPE challenge and uh, I mean not only the discomfort of PPE but also the the um, the change that has meant to their their job for an yeah. awful lot of people working in dentistry, I think the interaction with patients was key. And um, those interactions, the banter, the the sort of exchanges, are, are hampered mm. um, under current um, uh, safety measures. So, so I, I I think that that has reduced the enjoyment of the job at Definitely. the moment. And then at the same time, there's been quite a lot of pressure coming from all sorts of sources. And and I, I, I think something that's been growing steadily for actually a number of years, but particularly over the last few months, that I think is going to be probably the major issue facing dentistry for the foreseeable future is, is workforce and how you keep um, enough people, whether it's clinicians or you know, dental nurses, whatever, within the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I've been having a lot of conversations with people recently about workforce issues. Um, like you said, not just with dentists themselves, but even dental nurses, hygienists, things like that. Um, I think the profession's really on the edge of their seat at the moment as well, um, regarding these safety precautions that have been in place for, for quite a long time. Um, because, you know, once they are removed and they can get back to some kind of regular working pattern, this backlog that's formed can be better tackled. I mean, obviously, recently as well, there was the NHS targets that have been increased. Um, I'm sure you've got some, some thoughts on that. What was your first impression when you heard the news? 
Uh, um, well, my first impression was that it felt like a bit of a fudge. You know, uh, on on uh, the one hand, um, for years and years and years, people have been talking about the boiling frogs analogy, which is that actually just slowly turn the heat up on dentists and the yeah. dental profession uh, in, in small incremental steps uh, so that they don't really notice and they just adapt and adjust. To, to actually worsening conditions, but they don't they don't really feel it quite so um, mm. clearly. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that applies to this. Uh, if, if I'm honest, I think my reaction was to think that um, NHS England and the government are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place in that they have MPs with with uh, inboxes of, with emails from people saying. Uh, I can't access an NHS dentist. I'm having to travel, you know, tens of, if not hundreds of miles to access someone. You've got to sort this out. You've got to improve the access problem. Um, and then on the other hand, they've got those safety measures that are in place that make it difficult to increase patient throughput. So, so I think they were sort of trapped a little bit. So for me, I suppose my reaction to the, the 5% increase for dentists in England was to think they needed to do something that showed they were trying to address the backlog you referred to yeah. before and trying to improve access, but they didn't want to do too much while the current safety measures were in place because that would open them up to criticism for being gung-ho about safety. So it felt a bit of a fudge. I, and, and also I suppose that, that maybe there was just a, a, a trying to buy time to get more clarity on the safety measures because if actually and, and there is obviously some talk about this now um if if they they could be loosened somewhat that would then pave the way for maybe more substantial increases in activity targets yeah yeah definitely i think that is what people are expecting to happen any minute now but then again that's that's been um the case i think for for a few months i, I think with the the fallow time for example that was in place um, since last June with other European countries not actually having it in place ever there is a little bit of frustration I think among the profession in terms of getting things back um, to how it was. I, I think Gabby you've just proven yourself a, a master of understatement by saying <laughs> a little bit frustrated. Um, <laughs> there might be one or two that are a little bit frustrated but there's an awful lot of them at the completely opposite end of that scale and are absolutely blazing mad with the situation but um, it does it does feel I mean I, I had originally understood that there there would be changes announced um, by the end of last month and obviously that hasn't happened. It does, does feel as if we're very close to to some substantial changes and even even sort of news around um how they're trying to improve access to gps would would suggest that, that they they are um seeing the importance of giving patients access to gps and to dentists is probably more uh that, that that's a more pressing priority than the safety and, and the precautionary principle that's been adopted today yeah perhaps and i think as well a unified approach maybe because obviously if this access to GPs goes ahead and it's, it's easier for people to see them and the questions start to come from the dentistry side of things as well. So it might be all about timing and making sure it kind of coincides with one another. Yeah, and, and I think um, that, that feeds back to um, part of my answer to your question about what was my initial reaction, because it, it did mm -hmm. feel like it was a buying time, a bit of a holding position, this, yeah. this increase up to, to 65%. And, and maybe it was around trying to get a number of of moving parts um, synchronized ahead of something more substantial. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, what, what impact do you think it will have, this 5% this increase? Uh, yeah, it's slightly difficult to tell, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I think um, the direction of travel is, is fairly clear. You know, that the, the 
activity targets are only going one way. And um, mm. I, I, so, so I think that five percent in in itself is is probably not going to really change what's happening at the moment. We're 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 asking, we're seeing a lot of um, dentists approach us, and uh, but for some of them, I think the additional five percent will be the the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of their loyalty to the NHS. And, and certainly we have seen uh, over the last couple of months quite a, a substantial increase in the number of practices talking to us about um, going private and handing their contracts back. So I suspect there'll be a few more as a result of the 5%, but I don't think it, it will be, be a, a uh, trickle that turns into a flood just yet. Because, but um, I do think that there'll be a lot of dentists that are going to continue to get their ducks in a row ready for a potential uh, move away from the NHS. One of the things that definitely has characterised the last few months and I don't see will, will be changed um, by the, the 65%, it might actually be given added momentum, is a lot of dentists that left the NHS in 2006 but retained a contract which they focused on adults that were exempt from charges and children. Um, we, we've certainly seen a number of those continue their journey to being 100% private, and I, and I think that kind of thing will will um, maybe slightly quicken up as a result of the, the 65%. But um, I, I think mostly it will just be the signal it sends to the profession about where we're heading, and then I think uh, they'll they'll just start preparing and planning for um, what what might come further down the line what's ahead yeah a good indication of what's what's to come um i think it's also a lot of questions surrounding the contract at the moment as well because obviously that's expected next year um and i think that's probably adding to anxiety slightly i i i agree and i think um i think it's going to be very interesting because when it comes to increasing patient throughput and increasing activity there, mm. there, there are the two elements one is um, practicality, which links back to our earlier discussion around the um, the, the IPC guidance, the, the safety measures, allo time, etc. Um, because it's not practical to get people back to 100% activity while those measures are in place. But then there's also desirability, and I think that's where the new contract has got, uh, or uh, contract reform or system reform, depending on your preferred um, terminology these days. Um, is, uh, is, is going to be critical because it's, it's one thing removing the practical barriers to increasing the number of patients that are being seen. It's whether or not the profession want to see more people, even if practically they can, because certainly part of the feedback that we get from an awful lot of people is that uh, even if there is the removal of things like Valentine, the thought of going back to working at the pace that they were pre-pandemic is is not at all appealing so so i think that's something that uh, whatever um shape the contract in england takes going forward or the contract uh, or or nhs arrangements for, for dentists across the uk for that matter it, it has to make itself appealing to the profession and i and i i think that that is a real challenge at the moment and i think one of the things that uh, I think has been really interesting, and, and if I just rewind slightly to those activity targets, it, the, the last minute nature of the announcements, and you know, the, the, there is, whether it's um, in, intended or unintended, 
there is a lack of respect being shown to the profession. And, and I, I am struggling when I think about how those communications have been rolled out, the last minute nature. I mean, these are independent contractors, they're professional people running a small business. How, how are they supposed to do that with such last minute notification of what's going on? And I think if, if I truly wanted the profession to stay within the NHS, you, you surely just wouldn't handle them in that way. And I think that's one of the things that we'll need to, to characterise um, how the, the system reform, the contract reform takes shape is I think they'll have to, to show more respect to the profession as, as they pull that together. And um, I'm slightly nervous at the moment, but I don't think they've made an awful lot of progress over recent months. I think uh, from what I can gather, things slowed down quite a bit during the course yeah. of, um, of, of the... Uh, of the summer and I think that's unhelpful because I think a lot of people were pinning their hopes on contract announcements um, either in October or November um, that, yeah. that at the very least gave hope um, but hope but ideally gave clarity and I'm I'm not getting a sense that that's going to come and I think that's that is going to be a bit of a challenge. Definitely I think if it does arrive at some point over the next few months for many dentists and dental practice, it, it could be a case of too little, too late, I guess. Um, and actually they're, they're looking at the future and thinking we need to take a different, different path here if we're going to be happier and, and, and the practice is going to be sustainable. I, I, think, I think that's a really important point. And, and many people, you don't have to be in the dental profession to, to feel this way, have um, found the pandemic a cause to reevaluate what's important to mm. them and uh, to think about, about, life and how how they they want to do i think so many of my friends for example definitely want to live rather than exist and i think that the the there's a really important point here around okay so as that independent contractor how, how do i get the most out of life and um is that via uh, working for the nhs or is that uh, in in other ways i, I do think um those workforce issues that we touched on right at the start are going to play a part in all of this because I think yeah. some of the, the challenges affecting um, practice owners uh, that are contracted to the NHS is finding enough associates, finding enough dental nurses to be able to meet the um, activity requirements of their contract. And certainly a number of people we've spoken to uh, are, are really struggling to, um, to either... Uh, attract or retain um, associates and dental nurses and I can only see that getting harder for NHS practices because as yeah. as activity increases and the pace of work increases the lure of private practice I think is is going to become increasingly strong especially as arguably there's more flexibility within private practice to uh, increase um, salaries of dental nurses for example um, because because it, it, additional running costs can be passed more easily on to, to patients. And right now, we've, we've got still a huge demand for, um, for dentistry. The, the yeah. Zoom boom that emerged at, at the start of the first lockdown doesn't show any signs of abating. I was talking to a, a practice owner earlier this week who was saying that, um, that, that they simply can't handle the level of demand <laughs> they've got for, for straight away yeah. teeth at the moment. And they're actually toning down their marketing because because they, they they simply just can't continue to add people to their waiting list. So so I think th this is a really important 
point with, with how the NHS makes itself sufficiently attractive for dental professionals and other members of the dental team to want to remain within it. Um, and and what, what worries me slightly is that, that the, the, these workforce issues could mean that we reach a tipping point where because of the demand for, for dentistry and in particular cosmetic dentistry, mm. dentists don't feel trapped in the NHS. They feel able to leave the NHS. Um, a lot of them have stayed because they felt trapped. And if they no longer feel trapped, then, then their loyalty to the NHS, I think, will be, will be questionable. And then what, what really worries me is, is the risk of um, widening oral health inequality. And um, th therefore, when, when you're looking at uh, what, what kind of uh, a contract could emerge in, in, in the coming months, it has to be something that um, I, I think prioritises those most in need. And uh, I think some of the stuff they've been doing with flexible commissioning has been really interesting, the way that they've sort of retargeted resources to, to vulnerable groups. And it, for me, I interpret that as being a, a small step or small two or three steps towards a core service which targets limited resources at those most in need. And that's what I would like to see from a, from a new contract. I, I, um, I actually would be delighted if the government decided to find a whole load of extra funding for, for NHS dentistry, but yeah. I simply can't see how that's going to happen. So if, there, if we are going to be budget constrained when it comes to NHS dentistry, it needs to be focused on those most in need. Um, but what that will mean is, um, it, it, you know, by default, many, many more people um, having to source their dentistry privately. And that, yeah. I think, creates so much opportunity going forward, which is why when I very first said about, yes, there's lots of uncertainty for the dental profession, but there's still an awful lot of um, optimism and opportunity, I think, about what the years ahead could hold. Yeah, definitely. Some really, really good points there. I think the the... Uh, point that you made about health inequalities is is so crucial um I, I i mean i don't have the figures to hand but i know definitely um particular dental charities have seen an you know incredible uptake in how much work they've been having to do across the uk um due to these access troubles within nhs dentistry um so i i you know what you've said there about the, a gradual move towards private um more, more private dentistry sounds definitely likely um, I mean, you're, you're very well positioned to hear these grievances of dentists and dental teams who are within NHS dentistry. What, what are this, most of the things that, what are the, the key reasons for them making this shift? Um, primarily patient care. I mean, it's, it's, there's a, a number of strands to answering that question, but primarily patient care. They feel that um, the, the, the way that, uh, I mean, it's a phrase that's been used for decades, but the NHS treadmill works, compromises their ability to provide care. So, yeah. so the quality of patient care uh, and their ability or their sense of freedom to be able to um, uh, provide the highest quality of care they can provide is a major motivator. Um, there is definitely a tension between trying to achieve, particularly in England, activity targets and manage the expectations of patients in a way that avoids you being complained about and hauled in front of the GDC. So, so that, that, that tension, I think, um, causes a huge amount of stress where they're thinking, okay, in order to achieve these activity targets, I, I, I can't properly communicate with my patients. But if I don't properly communicate with my patients, I open up the risk of a complaint that could severely damage my career. A lot of them are thinking, actually, I can go private, provide more time for patient, which improves the quality of care, but also improves the quality of communication. So 
And then, then linked to, to all of that is, is um, something we touched on again right at the start of this, which is mm. uh, as historically called work-life balance. I think people are realizing there's yeah. more to life than work, and it's, it's how, they make, how they make their day-to-day working lives facilitate how they get the best mm. out of life. And, and having more control um, over how they work, their patterns of work, um, the way they work, within the private sector is is a, a big draw for people yeah yeah i think you're right i think it's really hammered that point home over the last 18 months particularly with those those few months where dental practice couldn't see face-to-face patients face-to-face even i think it really made people reevaluate what what where they were going and, and where they'd want to um, see their practice go and and, and their involvement yeah. in that and an interesting side effect of the activity targets is that, I mean, most of the, the dentists that I've worked with uh, have looked to um, at least halve the number of patients they see. And um, here we are talking about 60%, 65% targets, which is a significant reduction on the normal patient throughput. And it's given people a sense of what private practice might be like. And, and I think then the, the thought of returning to, to the pre-pandemic uh, frantic nature of NHS practice, having got a sense of what private practice mm. might be, it, it, that's quite daunting for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm uh, not a dentist myself, but um, I can imagine that that is a conversation that's being had by many people. And obviously, you're in a great position to to hear that. Um, so, I mean, just before we wrap up, very very quickly, um, if I were were looking to go from NHS to, to private, what would your what would your advice be? Prepare, think about it, plan, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the number of times, and it's hundreds of dentists that I've helped take that step, and yeah. probably most of them thought it was going to be a lot harder. I mean, the, the, the phrase that, that uh, I berate myself about, actually, um, is that I've heard more times than any is, I wish I'd done this sooner. And that, that reason I berate myself is because that means I didn't do a good enough job of helping them gain the confidence to take that step earlier. Um, but the, one of the ways they gain the confidence is to actually do their research, do the numbers, work out what's feasible, what's practical. Actually, in the majority of cases, they, they find that they, they need to retain far fewer patients to achieve their financial objectives than they had yeah. uh, originally imagined. And just, just the sort of simple maths around that can be very, very reassuring. But every now and then it throws up a question mark, in which case the, the correct um, uh, next step is to, to wait for a little while and mm. um, to put any, any planned move on, on hold. And I think uh, you, you can't make that decision until you've done that bit of research. So I would, I would also say talk to colleagues that have already done it, find, find out um, uh, how they experienced it, what kind of emotional journey they went on, let alone kind of practical journey they went on. Uh, Obviously, obviously, I'd say talk to us. You know, we've done this hundreds of times. Say, I've been doing this since people were trying to leave what was then called the new contract in 1990. But I've got um, people within my team that have been doing it for years and years and years. I've helped so many practices, which means that they're almost certain to, to have a comparable situation to um, anyone that approaches us and says, can you give us a, a steer? Uh, I mean, we, we um, I don't think it's anyone's interest to, to get people to make a, a, take a step that they aren't equipped to do successfully. So um, I think talking to colleagues, talking to experts like ourselves and doing, doing some research and doing some maths would be what I would recommend as the, the best steps to take.
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Nigel. Um, some really good stuff that I think people can take away if they've got any questions. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for coming back on again. It's, I like it when people return. It's always nice to you know see how the last year's gone and, and catch up on all of that. Um, but I hope you I hope you have a lovely day um, and enjoying your time up there in the Lake District. I know I just mentioned before we started the podcast that. Uh, the photos you put up on on uh, Instagram and social media it always makes me jealous when, <laughs> when the weekends well, you have that on your doorstep. It's lovely. Uh, I, I have to say, I mean, I think um, going back to this idea that, that uh, you should uh, work to live rather than live to work. Um, yeah. My relocation to the Lake District has been absolutely brilliant. And, uh, you know, the idea that I um, I can sit in my office and I can look through my window at um, uh, the, uh, the the mountains, and also know, particularly when it was quite hot in the, the summer, that I can just go for a dip in the lake after work is just great. That I love is it. Nice. I'm just going to rub that in there before we before yeah. we. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks so much.